Hello, and welcome to the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast, brought to you by the North Carolina Sustainable Energy Association. I'm your host, Matt Abel. Squeaky Clean listeners, welcome to the 65th episode of the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast, where we bring you the latest in North Carolina clean energy news, policy, and more every two weeks. On today's episode, we're talking electric vehicles, and specifically the manufacturing of those vehicles. Spoiler alert, it's happening here in North Carolina. But before we get into the details, we've got a few updates to share. First up, Carbon Plan. As you may recall, House Bill 951 required the North Carolina Utilities Commission to finalize a plan to reach the carbon emissions reduction mandates for the power sector of 70% by 2030 and to reach net zero by 2050. Part of that includes Duke convening a stakeholder process with at least three meetings and for them to file a draft plan with the commission by May 16th. Up until this point, Duke has so far convened two stakeholder meetings with relevant parties from across the state and region. So how have these convenings been? Well, let's just say less than optimal. There have been concerns from stakeholders regarding the level of transparency. Duke has been very closely guarded when it comes to sharing information related to cost assumptions used for modeling in its own carbon plan. The only detail the utility has shared is that their solar cost assumptions were within 5% from the National Renewable Energy Lab's annual technology baseline. However, it's unclear what that specifically means and how it would affect the results of the draft plan. Instead of approaching this process collaboratively, the utility has stated that stakeholders will have the opportunity to intervene after the plan is filed and submit data requests. And more concerning is that Duke appears to be proposing a workaround to reaching emissions reduction goals by shifting emissions to South Carolina. There already has been admissions by the utility that the 2030 goal will be hard to achieve, and there also appears to be an effort to try and lobby the Utilities Commission to push out the deadline by at least two years. These are only a few of the concerns raised by external parties regarding the Carbon Plan stakeholder convenings. For a full overview of these concerns and more, we'll include a link to the phenomenal blog post written by Maggie Schober and Forrest Bradley Wright of the Southern Alliance for Clean Energy. In EV news, the North Carolina Utilities Commission partially approved an EV proposal from Duke, which will include a new Make Ready program for customers, providing credits to homeowners, home developers, and non-residential customers to help cover the costs of upgrading circuits and creating the infrastructure necessary to install EV chargers. This is welcome news, as this presents an additional incentive for customers to consider electric vehicles in the state. NCSEA has long advocated for a Make Ready program as a means to incentivize EVs while also fostering a market of competition by allowing other EV charging companies to participate in the market instead of 100% utility EV infrastructure ownership. Other parts of the proposed pilot were sent back for additional revisions. Should those provisions be approved in the future, we'll share that here. More information about the order can be found via the link in the show notes. And lastly, a quick reminder about a few upcoming events we have here at NCSEA. First up is NCSEA's Making Energy Network Policy Forum, taking place on March 24th here in Raleigh. Over the course of the next few months, the NCSEA team will be convening these events across the state to tackle all the latest pressing clean energy topics on the radar this year, including EVs, net metering, HB 951 implementation, amongst a number of other things. All of this will be leading up to NCSEA's big Making Energy Work conference, scheduled for later this year in the fall. The event on March 24th will specifically be focused on electric vehicle policy, where we'll feature Zach Pierce from the Governor's Office, 
Marshall Cherry of Roanoke Electric Cooperative, and Megan Anderson with the City of Raleigh. Registration is free and is open to members and non-members alike. In other exciting news, Women in Clean Energy is reconvening with our first networking reception of the year taking place at the UNC Clean Tech Summit over in Chapel Hill on March 29th. If you haven't been a part of the Women in Clean Energy Network in the past, this group fosters a community for women to network with and support one another through camaraderie and mentorship. The reception will take place the first evening of the conference and is free for everyone to attend, men and women alike. You don't have to attend the conference to attend this reception, but Weiss attendees do receive a discounted registration to the conference. More info and registration can be found via the link in the show notes. Okay, on to the show. This is an episode I've been incredibly excited to share with you for some time. On a personal note, I love EVs, so this episode will probably reflect that excitement in the conversation that I have with our guests today. They're joining us to talk about the world of electric vehicles and the role that North Carolina is playing in making that vision a reality. In particular, we're diving into the medium and heavy-duty world, where we've seen substantial commitments from delivery companies and transit agencies to electrify their fleets and reach carbon neutrality. The most exciting bit of this is that North Carolina will be the home to the manufacturing of these vehicles that will be delivered all over the world. But I don't want to completely spoil the episode, so let's just get into it. Clean energy. Our guest on today's episode leads up U.S. state public policy and government affairs efforts with the EV company Arrival. Previously, she worked in public policy and government affairs for the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission, the city of San Francisco's public utility, as well as for Solar City and Tesla. Friends of the pod, please welcome Suzanne Merkelson, head of public policy and government affairs for U.S. states with Arrival. All right. So, Suzanne, we are very excited to have you on the show today to talk more about electric vehicles, arrival, and your presence here in North Carolina. So, to start things off, can you provide our listeners with uh, an overview of who arrival is, what the vision for the company is, and the products you are delivering to the market? Sure. Well, great to be here. Thanks so much for for having me and very excited to to chat with you today. Um, So, arrival was founded in 2015. We have headquarters in um, both London and Charlotte, and we have over 2,100 global employees. So we're growing quite quickly. Uh, Most of those are based in in the EU and the UK, um, but growing in the US as well. So we're really focused on creating an integrated transportation ecosystem that can include in, in just one city, everything from a manufacturing facility to the commercial vehicles that are actually transporting people and goods around the city, to charging infrastructure, digital services, and then, you know, supporting needs like workforce development. So we've invested in technologies and platforms that make our products recyclable, circular, and then prolong their useful life to make EVs more sustainable than ever before. Our first two vehicles coming to the market are the Arrival van and the Arrival bus, uh, very creative names, I know. We currently have MOUs for um, 64,000 vehicles from customers, including a 10,000 van order from UPS. And so our unit economics enable our price competitiveness. We're really working toward a lower total cost of ownership when compared to fossil fuel equivalents like diesel and gas. And uh, one of our biggest innovations is in our micro factories, which enable flexible and lower cost production. They're also a great deal more sustainable than traditional auto manufacturing and um, have a significantly reduced impact compared to traditional automotive manufacturing plants due to their smaller size, 
a mission of polluting paint shops and a focus on using renewable energy and zero waste to landfill. We're vertically integrated and we have proprietary hardware, software, and robotics platforms. And we're really focused ultimately on building from the ground up the best vehicle that makes sense for our customers. We're not just, you know, putting a battery in an internal combustion engine vehicle. We're, we're really rethinking electric vehicles. It, that's amazing to hear. It's such a comprehensive vision of, of the products that you're talking about on the market. Not only thinking about the actual like physical vehicle, but thinking about the technology that goes into it and the, the software design and software hardware integration. And then also thinking sustainably, you know, full on as a company from how you manufacture that vehicle and making sure that's a sustainable process as well. Uh, so really great to hear that overview of the company. So I am really interested since you talked about some of the vehicles that you all are working on in the, the van and bus market. Why are those sectors of the transportation market really important for a rival to focus on first? Well, we think they're a huge and important market, you know, especially in how they impact communities, um, including and especially disadvantaged communities. You know, while light duty vehicles account for the largest portion of transportation sector emissions in the U.S., medium and heavy duty vehicles have a disproportionate impact on emissions. So they make up just 5% of vehicles on the road, but about 24% of all U.S. transportation emissions. So it's really vital for these types of vehicles to electrify, to not only reduce those carbon emissions, but also to improve air quality in our cities. We also think that, you know, this is a sector that's traditionally underserved by incumbents. And we really see a rising demand from cities and fleet operators to decarbonize their operations, uh, spurred in part, you know, by global public policy initiatives. And we'll we'll circle back around on to that point in a little bit because I know you had mentioned an MOU with some of the the delivery companies like UPS, and I want to hit on that in in a minute. But let's talk a little bit more about some of the exciting announcements you've had specifically here in North Carolina over the past year or two. So back in 2020, Arrival announced its plans to establish a North American headquarters in Charlotte, bringing about 150 jobs to the state with around three million dollars of investments. There have been uh, even more exciting announcements since then. But first off, just a level set, why Charlotte? Why is this an intriguing market for Arrival to set up your North American presence? Yeah, the Charlotte area has really become home to Arrival. We've received a really warm welcome from the city and then also both you know, the states of North Carolina and South Carolina. Charlotte as a city has really ambitious goals around climate change and transportation electrification. And it's really felt like we're working towards the same goals as the city. It's a really, I think, obvious partnership, uh, you know, the, the further along we get into it, that, that working together really makes sense. We're really committed to working with cities, you know, like Charlotte to make them better and more sustainable places to live. On top of that, you know, there's great local talent in Charlotte. Local supply chains are, are really good, you know, it, both in North Carolina and South Carolina. And then the quality of living is really high in Charlotte. You know, we were looking specifically for a location on the East Coast also to make working with our UK colleagues a little bit easier. You know, that's really important. I've worked with a lot of economic development organizations, right? And one of the one of the leading reasons why companies decide to relocate or locate here in North Carolina is the proximity to airports and being able to travel, especially to the European market, much quicker than you would be able to from the West Coast or the middle of the country. So I think that's an important thing to hit on. In addition to Arrival's decision to locate your North American headquarters in Charlotte, you've also had a few other exciting announcements recently. 
including deciding to build a second U.S. microfactory in Charlotte, and then a battery manufacturing facility as well. Can you talk a little bit more about what led to these additional expansion announcements here in North Carolina? Sure. So yeah, we uh, definitely love being in the Charlotte area. Um, you know, a total investment in in Charlotte for us is 550 jobs and over $55 million so far. Um, when you add in Rock Hill, which is just across the border in South Carolina, that goes up to 800 jobs and over $75 million in investment. So we're we're really invested in the area. So, you know, as you mentioned, we have two micro factories in the area. Uh, one is the one I mentioned in Rock Hill. It's just over the state border from um, Charlotte, and we'll be building uh, buses there. The Charlotte micro factory will be, you know, as I mentioned, very close to the airport, and that will assemble vans. So we're really, you know, we're building two different products in the region. So the high voltage battery module manufacturing facility also located within the city will be our third manufacturing facility in the area. And then with our headquarters will be our fourth, you know, overall location within within Charlotte and the, the larger area, including Rock Hill. The modules made there will be used in the products um, made at those two local manufacturing facilities. So this helps us enable, you know, vertical integration and gives us control over the functionality and cost of our products and, you know, eventually passing those cost savings on to our customers. We found Charlotte to be a really great place to roll out some of our work in terms of city engagement and integration, you know, working very closely with the city on some of their programs and goals. And we're really hoping that our work with Charlotte can provide us a model in working with other cities in the country. So we really see it as, you know, home, but also a great launching point for us in the U.S. And Charlotte's garnered a lot of attention for their deployment of electric transit buses already. I know that not too long ago, uh, the vice president and secretary of transportation, Pete Buttigieg, were down in the area talking about some of these uh, developments and deployments within the region. So Charlotte's also a beacon for deployment. And I think that ties in directly with what you all are doing as well, which is really exciting. A little bit higher level, thinking about above the uh, the municipal level and the state of North Carolina, just a few weeks ago, the governor signed Executive Order 246, establishing new zero electric vehicle targets for the state of North Carolina. Uh, we actually just published an episode on that in which uh, we walk through the executive order and talk about the targets, uh, 1.25 million uh, electric vehicles on the road by 2030, along with the 50% sales target by that same date. And so this administration and the federal administration have signaled strong support for the EV market. How do those commitments, or do they, uh, impact the marketplace for a company like Arrival? Yeah, I think, you know, goal setting is so important in policymaking to make sure that government and industry are really on the same page and are clear about where where North Carolina is going. Uh, we were we're very supportive of this executive order, and we're especially glad to see that it, you know, really centers equity and justice um, in what it's doing. I think that's really critical to electrifying transportation. I think, you know, it's really important to have the right mix of policies to truly accelerate EV adoption. So goal setting is definitely important. But then, you know, we like to see incentives. We like to see mandates, like, for example, the advanced clean trucks rule that was started in California, but has now been adopted by five other states across the country. So um, having those mandates, you know, really gives a clear indication to industry where things are going. You know, one blocker we do see in the state 
is unfortunately state franchise laws prohibit us from selling our vehicles directly to our customers. So prohibitions on direct sales, which you know is something that North Carolina, along with many other states, has, that'll slow the pace of business for us in North Carolina and limits competition, hinders consumers' freedom of choice. So something that we're working on, you know, these laws, I think, are well known as quote unquote Tesla laws, but I think it's not very well understood how they impact fleet sales as well. So, you know, and not just from a sales perspective, but also um, servicing. So we're definitely interested in engaging with the state on correcting the current law and making sure that we're able to, you know, do business in the state the way that's best for our customers. I'm I'm glad that you mentioned all of those policies and policy issues. I think something that we we've heard, you know, across the market from other electric vehicle manufacturers and really it's trying to break down the barriers to get as many electric vehicles in the hands of fleets and consumers as possible. You know, we've already seen there's a large appetite from delivery companies like UPS and others for uh, and Amazon uh, for integrating electric vehicles into their fleet. I'm curious from Arrival's perspective and having signed MOUs with some companies already and, and you know actively engaged in a lot of conversations with these types of companies, what's driving these sorts of announcements and procurement commitments from companies like UPS? Is it corporate sustainability commitments? Is it cost savings that they see from the total cost of ownership of EVs? What's that leading driver for them? Yeah, um, fleets are definitely meeting the moment um, that we're in. And I, well, I think there are specific challenges for fleet electrification. Um, you know, for example, ensuring that there's enough infrastructure built out for charging, you know, multiples of vehicles as opposed to just what if you're buying a passenger electric vehicle. I think in some ways, fleet managers are really able to operate from a more data-driven perspective. They know what their vehicles will be doing each day, and that really differentiates them from the passenger vehicle market. I don't know that there's one factor driving these announcements. Uh, you're right that fleet managers definitely seem to see the cost savings potential of these vehicles. Also, as companies move to reduce emissions and have you know very clear sustainability goals, electrifying fleets, while not necessarily easy, is a clear and obvious path they can take to meet those commitments that they're making. I think also, you know, public policy plays a big role here. You know, as I mentioned, the advanced clean trucks rule uh, mandates that manufacturers of medium and heavy duty vehicles sell an increasing percentage of zero emission vehicles each year. And that's one that, you know, we're seeing in California, also adopted by Oregon, Washington, New York, New Jersey, and Massachusetts. So we're starting to see some of those signals sent by the state that this is where the market has to go. That's that's what we're doing. You know, there's additional laws being, you know, pioneered by California and adopted elsewhere. The Advanced Clean Fleets rule is a good example of that. That requires the fleets themselves to purchase more electric vehicles um, in an increasing percentage each year. So, you know, I think that there's a lot of different things happening to kind of make this um, this moment happen. And we're really excited to be able to, you know, serve this growing market. Really exciting to continue to hear about all of these announcements uh, that your company has made and companies like UPS continue to make about integrating more and more electric vehicles into the fleet. So the concept behind producing these vehicles that we're talking about is, is doing so in micro factories across the world, as opposed to huge expansive assembly lines, as we've seen with other OEMs or some new-to-market EV manufacturers. 
Can you talk a little bit more about why this is the path that Arrival has chosen? And I know we, we talked about having a microfactory in the Charlotte area. So uh, having that infrastructure here in North Carolina, why is that something that Arrival is committed to? Sure. So um, microfactories, as you can imagine, are smaller than traditional auto manufacturing facilities. They're lower capex, can be deployed into existing warehouses. And the goal is to have a shortened time frame to the start of production from when we um, initially start working on building a new microfactory. So we're committed to this model. Uh, we think you know, microfactories will make production and distribution cheaper, easier, and also more sustainable. So what we're talking about here is um, a cell-based assembly method uh, in a much smaller footprint. So we're talking 200,000 to 300,000 square feet for one facility. And one facility can produce up to 10,000 vans a year or 1,000 buses a year, approximately 250 employees working across two shifts in one microfactory. The idea is to position these you know, close to customers and areas of demand around the world and really tapping into, you know, as we've said, local talent and local supply chains. And um, the flexibility of a microfactory allows us to scale rapidly and produce any vehicle in our ecosystem, uh, really customized, customized to local cities and regions as needed. So, you know, we've designed our vehicles alongside the design for production, which allows us to, um, you know, I think be a little bit more efficient in how we're, how we're doing things. We use um, in-house made plug and play components um, and then proprietary composite materials, which are very cool. We, uh, they're, they're very durable and they also, you know, as we mentioned, eliminate the need for a paint shop, which saves a lot of space and is also, you know, much better for the local environment. And overall, you know, microfactories help us reduce the cost of production and emissions from shipping. And all of this is using, you know, local workforce. Uh, we're paying local taxes and we're, you know, really focused on being engaged in the communities that we're part of, you know, for example, the work we're doing in Charlotte, we're not just about, you know, being a business in the, in the area, but really being part of that community. Uh, yeah. So people are really excited about arrival because this approach that we're, we're doing with the microfactory is so unique. We're really going to be enabling truly sustainable EV production that will empower communities globally um, you know, we think the transition to electric vehicles shouldn't be expensive or elitist. It should be equitable. And that's what this new method really enables for us. And, you know, we're not just talking about Western countries, but also um, emerging markets as well. You know, this is going to be a really fundamental transformation for the automotive industry. Hopefully folks aren't led astray by the, the term micro, because it sounds like there are a lot of vehicles being produced at each of these facilities uh, which is which is really exciting. So you, you have the ability to um, deploy much quicker. You have the ability to uh, be very focused on, you know, one singular type of product and getting that out there to the market and doing it in a less expensive way, but still getting a lot of that product out there, which is really exciting. Um, so one thing, too, that you, you had mentioned, right, with, with some of these micro factories, and you also had mentioned earlier um, in talking about, I think, over 500 jobs around to the Charlotte area and talking about how the the nature of the workforce was somewhat attractive to Arrival. Can you talk a little bit more about what some of these jobs look like and the types of skills that Arrival is looking to recruit to your workforce? So yeah, so our um, HQ will have all your typical like HQ jobs. So that's everything from finance to recruiting to real estate to marketing. And then at the microfactories and the high voltage battery module manufacturing facility, 
we'll have, you know, sort of your traditional assembly roles, but then also with our, you know, use of advanced robotics, there will be lots of opportunities for folks to skill up. We're working right now with an organization based in Charlotte called Renaissance West and, you know, helping them understand what they're, you know, they're located about a a mile from the um, Charlotte Microfactory. And so we're working with them to help them understand, you know, what types of skills will be needed for microfactory work so that their residents are able to take advantage of these new jobs. And then, you know, the company itself, we're really heavily uh, populated by engineers. About 60% of the company is, is engineers. So we're always looking to hire uh, folks with that skill set as well. That's great to hear. And North Carolina is home to a pretty robust and I would say one of the leading sort of uh, educational systems in the country. And we have lots of schools uh, like NC State that have a really amazing engineering program. Uh, there are other schools too, like we're, we're really excited to have in our backyard, uh, NC A&T State University, the largest HBCU in the country and uh, the university that graduates the most black engineers in the country as well. So having uh, an equitable and diverse workforce to be able to kind of meet those needs of a technology company and an EV company is really exciting to have right here in our backyard. Um, so glad to hear that those are all considerations. Yeah, we've actually, um, if you don't mind me chiming in, we've actually signed um, onto the HBCU Partnership Challenge, which is, you know, led by Congresswoman Alma Adams, who represents Charlotte. And so we're really excited to, you know, have signed on to that and to be, yeah, working, you know, directly with HBCUs. We're also focused, you know, on working with community colleges. We think, you know, the skill sets there are going to be really important for the workforce that we're trying to build. So, you know, yeah, it's about working with all different types of schools and making sure that, um, you know, students are are getting the skills they need to join our workforce and hopefully, you know, other companies like us uh, that will be, you know, moving toward a more sustainable and um, an advanced form of manufacturing. So there's lots of exciting things happening in the market right now. But just in the interest of, of your time, I just, you know, I want to thank you so much for, for joining us on on this episode of the Squeaky Clean Energy podcast. It was really great to learn more about uh, arrival as a company and what you're doing in, in North Carolina and why you're committed to the Charlotte area. Uh, I know our listeners are going to be really excited ab- about this conversation. So Suzanne, thank you so much for your time this morning on this Week Clean Energy podcast. Thanks so much for having me. It's been great to chat with you. My key takeaway from today's episode is the sheer momentum we're seeing in the EV space. If the initial announcement from Arrival about locating their headquarters in Charlotte wasn't enough, Since that announcement, they've announced a second microfactory in the Charlotte area, along with a battery module production facility. This is a result of the strong demand from customers like UPS for these products on the market. If the past year or so has been any indication, I'm willing to go out on a limb to say that Arrival and other EV manufacturers have nowhere to go but up from here. Thanks again to Suzanne and the team at Arrival for making this interview possible. I'm really looking forward to seeing their vehicles on the road here in North Carolina very soon. And you know the deal. Let's stay in touch on Twitter. Give me a shout at Matt Abel for future episode ideas, questions for our next episode, thoughts on today's episode, and your worst energy joke one-liners. And episode 65 of the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast is in the books. But before you leave, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share the pod on whatever platform you're listening in from. Sharing this podcast with your network and growing the friends of the pod 
helps us get just a little bit closer to our shared vision of a clean energy economy for North Carolina. All right, that's it. See y'all later.